0: Today's episode is sponsored by Douala. Douala is a fintech company solving a fundamental business problem, how to best move money. Payments are a key component of every business, yet one that can be difficult to understand. Douala removes the complexity involved in moving money to and from bank accounts using an ACH payment API, so businesses can continue to focus on their core revenue streams. ACH transfers are efficient reliable, and with Dwalla, they are available for any business. I've partnered with Dwalla for over two years and can vouch for two important aspects of their business, solid, reliable technology, and amazing customer support. Dwalla enabled our team to achieve same-day pay on our platform, and if my team needs anything, we can rely on Dwalla's support team to get an answer quickly. Start building against Dwalla's API in the Sandbox environment today for free. Visit dwalla.com slash codestory to get started.
1: It's an incredible emotional roller coaster. You, you go from an extreme high to an extreme low, you know, so, sometimes in a matter of minutes. We believe in, that, that in the new economy, there's huge value in the ability to build and own your reputation on your own terms. If we fail at anything that's physically possible, it's because of some knowledge that we failed to create. The, the arc of startup success is long, but it bends toward companies that really share their users' values. My name is Shelby Stevens, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Jolly.
0: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Shelby Stevens built a social professional market network for gig workers in the event space. All this and more on Code Story. Growing up in an entrepreneurial home, Shelby Stevens felt enabled to pursue his own projects. He was brought up appreciating science and art and studied engineering in college. Post-college, he decided to venture out on his own, pursuing a new venture with his friend doing video production work for hire. Fast forward 15 years and through a diverse set of entrepreneurial experiences, He and his co-founder are serving the production and project worker space by building Jolly, a social and professional network designed for gig workers, providing reputation portability, connection opportunities, and a marketplace to find work. Tell me about how you got started with Jolly.
1: So Jolly is a social network. We call Jolly the professional network for the new economy so it's a social network not for entertainment but for for work for for professionals instead of being designed for business professionals like LinkedIn for example jolly is designed for project based workers or gig workers also known as independent contractors or freelancers so jolly helps freelancers build a profile and a reputation that they control that they can use however they want so a lot of marketplaces enable freelancers to build a reputation, but uh, it's kind of stuck inside the marketplace. Um, Jolly is designed to let people aggregate their reputation from various sources, including just good old endorsements and recommendations from people they work with. And so, really, the first, the the first point is around reputation portability. So we believe in, that that in the new economy there's huge value in the ability to build and own your reputation on your own terms. And this is something that existing professional networks were just never designed to support. The, the process of constructing a reputation as a gig worker. Um, and it's something that most marketplaces kind of fundamentally don't support. And, and the other thing that Jolly does is it helps freelancers build up their network. So there's a ton we could cover around you know, different special use cases like what happens when you move cities or when you want to work while you travel or all that. But those are just kind of special circumstances. For most of our users, they really just don't have a formal network of connections that they can see, that they can build, that they can use to get introductions to other people, um, that they can display publicly to enhance their reputation as someone who's really connected. Um, so this is kind of the second big problem that jolly is solving in addition to the reputation portability issue i was just talking about and then the last one is kind of the elephant in the in the freelancer room is is work getting jobs getting gigs and 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 our philosophy here is that we want to help people get work that's meaningful and that's rewarding Um, we want to help our users earn that next dollar but we want to empower them to to earn it and, and choose work experiences that are positive with great people, with great coworkers and managers and such. So at its core, Jolly is a social network or a professional network, but it also serves as a marketplace for gigs. So the, the kind of term of art here, and we love the work that NFX puts out about these ideas, the, but the term for this model is a market network. It's just not common enough for us to use to describe the product that
0: way. So where did the idea originate?
1: So we started working on this over two years ago, really almost three years now, very, very late, 2016. My co-founder and I have been really good friends uh, for over a decade, and we're able to work really well together because of that, that background. So we're kind of able to sustain this ongoing argument about what's best for our users and and what we should be doing without ever destroying our our relationship, without ever getting too attached to one position, always willing to admit when we're wrong and and then keep moving forward. So by kind of cyclically supporting opposing views, uh, arguing about them, reaching consensus on who's right and then repeating, we've been able to iterate on our product really effectively. So uh, after after doing that for a while, in the fall of last year, or so about ten months ago or so, um, we hit the first moment where we realized, okay, we have thousands of people signing up for a product that, that doesn't even exist yet. We should we should probably build it as fast as possible, and and that's jolly. So uh, so the product went through different iterations, uh, certainly, but but that's where we are today.
0: Tell me about the MVP. Yeah, you know, how long did it take to build, and what sort of tools did you use to start out building it? in terms of tools while i am
1: capable of shipping code i am i am not a computer scientist or or a or a developer that can that can hold his weight against any great developer um, I, ne- I never got into coding as a kid i, I was i was like i was a kid obsessed with mac paint and like diff- these different games like there was this one game on the original mac that i don't even remember the name of it but you're moving through these hallways like bumping into magic potion or whatever and and like uh, It was like an early Mac version of Bandersnatch from the Black Mirror choose your own adventure thing. And then, you know, and then later also, you know, games like Bolo and, but uh, anyway, I I was never, I was never, I never got into coding and and never studied computer science. So I guess suffice it to say that Jolly has been built pretty much entirely with a distributed team of engineers, which we're still doing today and which we love. So engineers in the USA, Russia, Europe, Brazil, Japan, um, and now in India, have, have helped build this product. Um, we have designers here in Austin, but also in Bangladesh, our community managers up in Brooklyn, analytics expert is in Spain. We have a PhD sociologist in Berlin doing an ethnographic study for us. Um, so we, we've been, we found it to be very powerful to find experts around the globe to, to build a product like Jolly. In, in terms of tools, being distributed means that we have to be extremely disciplined uh, about, about tracking and about communication so we use tools like slack and trello google sheets Airtable. Um, we use sketch for prototyping google forms for surveys we have a whole different set of tools around research like full story intercom stuff like that in terms of the tech stack jolly is built with mongo express react and node on heroku we use segment um, passing to amplitude and google analytics we use twilio Mandrel, we build like out-of-product websites, like some marketing subsites and things like that using an awesome content management system called MakeSwift. I've used pretty much every CMS on the planet and MakeSwift is is really really great. highly recommend it. Beyond all that, um, we have a first phase of payment processing deployed on on the, uh with the Dwolla API for domestic payments and uh, and we love the Dwolla API. So there, there's kind of too too many to list. You know every every time that we're looking at expanding capacity in some way, we're we're very diligent about researching and finding the best solution for best solution we can in that moment um, and and then we always reassess if we hit a limitation and need to replace a solution.
0: What decisions in the early days and kind of trade-off did you have to make when you were building the MVP the early product uh, and how did you and the team cope with those decisions?
1: We're still in the early stages and in, in the early stages everything is a trade-off. I think the most critical high-level trade-off for us was whether we should focus earlier on what we knew would get us traction and engagement, which was just helping people get work. Or if instead we should focus on building the infrastructure of a social network before we later added this kind of job stuff, um, the prospect of real economic opportunity into the product. Um, And we we decided on the latter, that was was a huge trade off, and we decided on the latter course, basically deferring any real focus on jobs or gigs until, until very recently. So while we were we were getting thousands of signups each week, our our users were like, "Hey, th- this is this is kind of cool, but h- how do I get work on here?" And, and we kept just we you know we basically just kept messaging them and saying, "Look, we know, we know, we're working really, really hard to get there. Please stick with us. Please be patient." And and we finally got there a few weeks ago, um, and and now our our growth is through the roof, and engagement is is through the roof, and and frankly, we're just just now getting started. So trade-offs are kind of a, a weird balance of, you know, do, doing really rigorous research so that you can't lie to yourself, but then having the strength as a team to say, you know, we think, we think this is going to be best for the user if we build the product this way. So we're, we're just going to do it that way. And, and of course, you have to make sure you don't run out of money and crash into the ground in the meantime.
0: You, you essentially have sort of a marketplace where there are the jobs that you're starting to focus on now weren't there in the beginning but you you had to incentivize people to sign up with something which was the basically like the resume creation was that the 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 big thing that drew in your early signups
1: yeah exactly we as I've mentioned several times already we, we do a ton of research and um, we really came to the idea even test Jolly through research and then once we started testing the idea uh, we started. We started getting feedback from people about what they would want and what would be compelling. So around the fall of last year, around 10 months ago, we basically just iterated on our message enough to where it was compelling and where people, you know, we knew what people wanted, we knew what they wanted, we knew, you know, what was compelling enough to get them to sign up, and we knew what we needed to build in order for them to be satisfied with the product. Uh, so yeah, the you know the the carrot for signing up for Jolly at its core is you know build your reputation build a profile build your reputation as a as a as a great freelancer gig worker and connect with your colleagues connect with people you work with connect with other people who do what you do so it's just kind of a fundamental community value proposition right? and it took us a while to to build the fundamentals of that it, you know it took us between we started building it and November of last year, we launched the beta in January of this year, and it was very, very basic. I mean, it was basically just a profile. You couldn't even connect with people. And then we built the ability to connect with people. and You couldn't even see who you're connected with, right? So, you know, basically we've we've built the table stakes functionality of a network now. And um, the way we think about it is that 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 network is, is kind of naturally valuable to people. The ability to build their reputation is naturally valuable to them the ability to connect with people is naturally valuable to them and when you when, when now that we've added some economic opportunity into the network the ability to find more gigs and things like that it just amplifies this natural value that's already there that was really fundamentally the the calculus around that trade-off i mentioned earlier should we should we build the fundamentals of the network first and later add you know, add, add job opportunities or, or go the other way. And as I've described, we decided to, to build the network first and then later amplify all that natural network value with, with economic opportunity.
0: Support for today's episode is brought to you by Hackbright Academy. Hackbright Academy is an all-women coding bootcamp in San Francisco. They were founded with the mission to provide women with a personalized path to a software engineering career. One of the most impressive things about the school is the tight-knit community they've created. They truly believe in empowering each other and working to change the ratio of women in the tech industry. Hackbright firmly believes that when you combine a community of like-minded, ambitious women and a network of strong support, the possibilities are endless. Check out their programs at hackbrightacademy.com. You know, step by step, you built out the uh, the product. Did that approach pay dividends in terms of being able to be more flexible based on the feedback you were receiving for the early features?
1: Definitely. I'll put it this way. When we decided to test this product, we decided to test it after a series of qualitative, moderated video recorded interviews. With freelancers, we we kind of had a series of insights or that I that I recapped earlier, which are effectively the the high level problems that Jelly solves for people: reputation portability, network construction, things like that. And uh, what we did is we because we, research was already so fundamental to our process, we decided to really double down on it. And basically, we were building a wait list at that point. So we had uh, we knew what people wanted thousands of people were signing up on the waitlist every week and so we just did something very simple and we offered them the option of taking a survey and we got a really high conversion rate on those surveys and you know at this point i think we have maybe 20,000 survey responses from our user base on everything you can possibly imagine you know their 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 goals their fears their personal values but certainly and and more more directly applicable is you know, what do you want from a product like this? What what do you want to be able to do in a product like this, and what sort of outcomes in your life do you hope that your usage of of a network or your participation in a network like this might might result in? Um, and uh, and so that was a very fundamental driver of our early roadmap um, because we knew down to you know quantitative percentages like this many of our users think that this is the most important thing. And and we still do a tremendous amount of that research. We've we've shifted our focus into a different style of research now that the product is live. But uh, it's never really been about. I mean, we we did decide to make that high level trade off because we thought that would be best for the users long term on a sprint by sprint or month by month basis. It's it's never really been about what we want to build. It's it's about what the users want us to build.
0: To build your roadmap, you basically take the feedback, take the research, and compile it into uh, all of your findings and then operate off of uh, what the market's telling you. Is that right?
1: We went through a pretty interesting transition where what we thought was an entire business ter- turned out to be to just be one of many monetization tools in a much bigger business. So we originally built a freelancer management system. So we built we built a we built a really powerful freelancer management system which I'll refer to as an FMS. Um, so we built a really powerful FMS that helps businesses organize their freelance workers, assign and offer work to them in some really efficient powerful ways, and then directly pay them bank to bank all all in one platform. So this is essentially like workday which ADP acquired or Kalo or shortlist there there are others but, The FMS that we built was particularly good at managing or helping businesses manage workers that were going out into the real world to do stuff as opposed to like remote desk workers. And so our early customers, this is what we set out to build in the very end of 2016. And so our early customers that bought that product included some event businesses because these were businesses that were managing people that were going out into the real world to do stuff so think like when i say event businesses think like a bartender service that sets up bars at events so all the bartenders are freelancers or like a furniture rental company for nice events so the people moving the furniture in and out of the event are freelancers so so we do a whole whole lot of research and after getting the fms in market we started researching not our subscribers like our customers the business is paying for the software Uh, but we started researching the freelancers that they were managing through our software and basically about 18 months ago we realized that while the fms will be a great way for us to make money there's this huge unmet need across a gigantic section of the service economy millions and millions of workers that i talked about before around reputation reputation portability network connections and of course finding work so jolly today is much bigger and and will be much, much bigger than the FMS ever would have been. But the FMS will play an important role in our ability to generate revenue. And, and interestingly, this is kind of in our blood now, this notion that yeah, we can build a gigantic network, but we can make money to sustain the business with subscription products, not by taking a cut out of the transaction. And, and we think that's a huge deal, a, a big strategic advantage for the long term. So, in terms of the roadmap though, here's how it works. We have a system called the river of feedback Um, that's a term that we did not invent it comes from i think from Sachin reiki who we don't know personally but we read uh, you know everything he writes and and basically the the river of feedback is this compilation of different ways that we get information so this is stuff like analytics you know uh, acquisition analytics in product engagement analytics surveys user session recordings interviews that we conduct usability tests even ethnographic research just a whole host of things Um, so these feed into what we call an impact matrix which is another term that we did not invent i think that was from someone at google whose name escapes me right now but basically the impact matrix you take all this stuff from the river of feedback all these different units of information it might be a chart might be a research recording interview recording it might be a survey uh you know a high level report of survey results um uh, takes all these units of information coming from the river of feedback and the impact the impact matrix maps them uh, so that each person on the team knows which unit of information they should consume at what frequency so the head of product might review recordings, video recordings of moderated discovery interviews every week, but I might review a summary of findings from those interviews once a month. So that's just an example. But this is, this is effectively just a really organized system of creating knowledge, um, and specifically creating the knowledge that we think we need. So, so there's this amazing quote from David Deutsch, the physicist. Every transformation of physical systems that is not forbidden by laws of physics is achievable, given the right knowledge. And hence the rational attitude to, f- to the future is what I call optimism, the principle of optimism, namely that all evils are caused by lack of knowledge. That isn't a prophecy of success, it's an explanation of failure. If we fail at anything that's physically possible, it's because of some knowledge that we failed to create. We, we, Zach and I, really think that's true, and we and we take it seriously. So, so that's the first part. We we basically have built this knowledge creation machine. This all feeds into a very organized process that was built using ideas from another amazing person who we don't know personally but read religiously, whose name is Teresa Torres, who writes about continuous discovery basically product teams that learn constantly so the river feedback flows into this other system whereby every few months zach and i sync up on what the top priority outcomes are for the business Um, so right now this is certain types of growth particularly user acquisition and activation so at the very top that you kind of have this idea of outcomes that the business needs to achieve that you prioritize maybe every couple months or every quarter or something. And then for those outcomes, we identify all the possible opportunities to help our users, which would lead to us achieving those target business outcomes. Um, And once we pick the best user opportunities that are most likely to result in those business outcomes, um, so user opportunities could be like helping them get jobs, helping them grow their network, things like that. Then we come up with a ton of solution ideas that might help us address those opportunities for the user. Um, So we use different frameworks to assess solution ideas uh, and to kind of make sure we're coming up with the best possible solutions that we can come up with at the time. uh, And those solutions that rise to the top then become the things that we're going to build next. That's effectively how we build our roadmap. As we've iterated on the product, we've just built a more and more sophisticated system around creating the type of knowledge that we need, making sure that we're consuming uh, consuming it and consuming the right pieces of it at the right frequency because you can't you can't consume it all. Otherwise you just spend all day looking at analytics and reading, you know, survey results and that you're applying those to kind of the outcomes on a longer cycle, the opportunities on a shorter cycle and then the, the solutions on a on a much tighter cycle.
0: So you mentioned that you have a fully distributed team, which is is really cool. Tell me how you built that team. Um, how do you structured it, You know how you chose the winning horses.
1: Building a distributed team is is hard uh, in certain ways, but I also think in some ways it's kind of easier than than building a, a centralized team. Effectively, the workflow around building the team is let's go out and find a bunch of people who say they can do something. Let's test them. Uh, make sure that we have some real structured, uh, really well structured tests, and test a bunch of people. And uh, the people who perform well, let's uh, give them a more sophisticated project, uh, and make sure that their, you know, their level of communication, their willingness to to track their work and and communicate proactively, is at the level that that we need. And then when we find someone who's really exceptional, uh, we we add them to the team. There are nine of us right now, um, not all full time. So, um, like our community manager in New York is like three fourths time, that kind of thing. But, um, that's, that's how we build the team and recruiting right now. So we're, we're in the process of, of raising a seed round right now. And that, uh, that team, you know, we're, we aim to continue building a distributed team.
0: So you mentioned you, when someone is exceptional, you want to add them a the team. How do you deem them exceptional? What qualities do you look for? in particular, a a tech person?
1: I think you kind of know it when you see it. Uh, Maybe that's not a great, maybe that's not a great answer, but it's pretty obvious when somebody is really into what you're building. They get excited about it. They communicate proactively. They do things that you don't explicitly ask them to do. So when you, you know, when you create a test for, oh, let's say we need another engineer, you, you look for those kind of, I mean, obviously, they need to be able to perform technically, um, but but assuming two candidates are performing technically, the the other stuff is pretty easy to suss out. Are they excited about what you're doing? And uh, do they communicate proactively? That kind of thing.
0: How are you building the product now with a scalable eye for the future? How are you building it to scale?
1: About a month ago, when our our growth really started to, um, and by growth, I mean, user signups and, and and engagement um, sessions, returning sessions, monthly active users. When that started to, um, to go up very rapidly, uh, we definitely hit some performance issues around page load times and, and stuff like that. But the stack that we have is super flexible. And, uh, and I think we'll ultimately change certain parts of it as, as we grow even faster. But you know, our approach to this has been, let's just build it the best that we possibly can right now and not overbuild it for our growth. And then when you hit an inflection point on growth, what do we need to rebuild? What do we need to fix? Let's keep moving forward. I mean, you asked me about trade-offs earlier and my answer was, you know, at the early stages, everything is a trade-off. Well, building something for scalability and, building more stuff sooner for the user is a, is a trade-off. And so you just kind of have to balance that as you go. There's some stuff that we do that definitely slows down our ability to ship product, like making sure that we write a test for every feature, not a test, but as many testers are. As many tests as are necessary for a given feature, making sure that we're disciplined about writing tests as we go. That's a lesson that we learned the hard way in the past on Jolly. We, we're not making that mistake. So, you know, building, building test coverage is a big part of it.
0: Tell me how Dwala fits in to your overall solution. When did you get hooked in with Dwala and how do they, how do they positively impact your product?
1: As I mentioned earlier, Dwala is the payment processing API for our freelancer management system. And we came to Dwala after a an experience. We originally built that payment processing system on Stripe Connect. And there's a post on the Dwala blog about that journey that, that, that I wrote that they put on their blog about our kind of journey to Dwala. I won't go into too much detail there, but, you know, basically we originally built on Stripe Connect. It didn't work well for us for a number of different reasons. We tried out Dwala, it works great. And uh, their support team is really amazing. Dwala, you know, ov- obviously is limited to the United States to, to domestic transactions because they're, they're an API to the, to the ACH system that's that's just here in the United States. They've recently launched a, a partner network so they can expand their their solutions for customers beyond the United States, and that's something that we're talking to them about. So they're, they're great, and they're uh, relatively easy to deploy, things like that. I mean, effectively, what our freelancer management system is uh, on the payment side is a way for businesses to get low-cost ACH payments across the Dwolla network without having to without having to have an engineering team that does a dwell integration.
0: What are you most proud of where you're at right now with the team, the technology? And, uh, and then after that, what's the future look like?
1: Well, I'm, I'm definitely most proud of my family, my kids, my wife. Um, Like, like we were talking about earlier, building a startup and a family at the same time is, is hard. It takes a whole lot of work on the part of everyone, not, not just the entrepreneur, but the spouse and the kids and, I'm by no means nailing this, but but I'm trying and I'm, I'm proud of my family. They're, they're very patient and supportive. Definitely proud of my working relationship with, with the team, uh, with my co-founder and, and, and everyone on the team. You know, we, t- we take discipline, organization, and communication all very seriously and you kind of have to if you're distributed. Um, and I, I think we do a pretty good job of it. I'm, I'm proud of our decision. I mean, it wasn't just my decision, but the team and with support from our investors, the decision to shift gears about 10 months ago and go for something really big, something that will change the lives of many, many people for the better. Uh, our team is, is going to fundamentally change the way that people serve each other all over the globe. And I'm proud of our courage as a team to, to make that shift and pursue something bigger when we saw the opportunity. We felt like it was kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity, so we took it.
0: Tell me about a mistake that you guys have made and how your team responded to it. One,
1: not doing our own research from the very beginning was a mistake. We had a, a great research consultant who was previously at Google. She's a PhD. She was at ClearHead. She's absolutely incredible so incredible that we just relied on her to do research for us for too long. She eventually taught us how to do all this research ourselves, um, but we should have done that sooner. So so not doing our own research from the very beginning was a mistake. Uh, When we look back at our journey so far, um, we see the moment where we started doing our own research as as a major, major turning point for the company. And as you could probably tell by uh, how many times I've mentioned our research and the various types of research we do, um, that that has become really core to how we operate. You know, it, we could see it as a mistake that we built the freelancer management first instead of the network. The very first website that we put up for this company, that the tagline in giant bold text across the page was the world's service network, and nobody understood what it was, and everybody thought it was stupid, and we took it down, and we. Uh, I I mentioned that to say we, we always wanted to build a network. We just thought what we needed to build first was a SaaS tool, generate revenue, and then later we would be able to build this network. If we had started out building this network sooner, the network would be much bigger. But but I also think that this mistake is kind of a blessing in disguise because we learned so much through the process of building and shipping that freelancer management system including doing a lot of research for that product through through this third party and then you know in the process learn that we should do it ourselves so I think that was kind of a mistake but also a blessing in disguise. Other mistakes I mean I think in some cases we've just waited too long to go find a real expert to add to the team like we 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 added an analytics expert to the team uh, who's in Spain. You make so many mistakes. I mean, every single day is a mistake that you then learn from and and fix and and you know become stronger as a team from that. I think we're doing the big things right. I think when you're really fundamentally aligned with what's best for your users, the arc bends your way. Not not the arc of justice. Not not the arc of the moral universe. The, the, the arc of startup success is long, uh, but it but it bends toward companies that really share their users' values.
0: If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently, whether back to the FMS part or even just in the beginning when the idea was percolating? or But if you could go back, what would you do differently?
1: Mm. Man, I, I don't know if I would do it differently. <laughs> No, in in terms of Jolly, I I, I don't know. I don't know how I would do it differently. I feel like our process has been one of such consistent iteration and building upon knowledge step-by-step to the point where we just so deeply understand uh, the user and the market opportunity that I, I don't know that we would have that if we did it differently. Like I said, in terms of when you were asking me about mistakes, I think if we had just started by doing our own research early i think we would have would have had some core insights earlier maybe um so so maybe if anything that but but at the same time like the process of outsourcing our research for a while um to to a a phd badass was was a learning experience and then we realized we needed to do it ourselves and then she taught us how so you know I, i don't know i don't know if i i don't know how i would do it differently
0: what advice would you give someone just getting started uh, on the the tech startup road? You know, everybody
1: says this, but it's 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 just going to take you a lot longer than you think it's going to take you uh, to build something big and meaningful. I think it's possible to build to build good businesses faster, but um, to build something that's really really big just takes a long time. And that's not a huge deal when you're, you know, when you're just out of college. But um, uh, you have to pick your pick your partners carefully. Um, I was in, in my, you know, I, 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 after nine months of of contract engineering for NASA, you know, start starting my entrepreneurial journey. Really, the, the year after college. I started working with a good friend, and we had an amazing working relationship. And to an extent, that was just lucky that, that we knew each other and that we ended up having the ability to work on a really positive level for a long time. So, so certainly choose your choose your partners carefully, um, and and I've done that. So, you know, that's those are the two things. It's just you know, buckle up because it's going to take a long time. Make sure you pick, you know, make sure you pick the right people. Who, who will tough it out with you and maybe that's the last thing is it's just really freaking hard. There are days when you're when you're early stage in a startup and, and sure later too where you're just it's an incredible emotional roller coaster you, you go from an extreme high to an extreme low you know some, sometimes in a matter of minutes. Like I, I'll tell you <laughs> recently uh, I was I was on a call. Uh, with an investor who had committed to investing in our company, who was calling to tell me that he he wasn't going to write the check, he changed his mind. And like, and as he's telling me this, I'm reading an email, one of the first emails we got from an early business user in Jolly, who's saying this is the most incredible recruiting tool for freelancers I've ever seen, and I and I'm literally like having this. This incredible, incredibly positive emotional response while I'm seeing this email, while this investor is telling me, like, "Sorry, we're we're not going to write the check," um, and, and it, it's just, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. It's a crazy emotional roller coaster, and it's and it's really really hard. So it's you know it's a long road. It's a really hard road. Make sure you've got good people around you, and uh, you know, ask for help from people who've who've done it before.
0: Well, Shelby, really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks for being on Code Story today. Hey, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it,
1: Noah. Thank you.
0: And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Co-produced and edited by George Macharko. Special thanks to Deanna Chapman and Stephanie Campisi for their promotional support. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Breaker, or the podcasting app of your choice. Make sure to check us out at Codestory.co or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn.